The Courage to Lead, episode 122. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Fred Joyle. Fred is co-founder of 1-800-DENTIST Referral Service, uh, founded 1986 with his business partner, Gary St. Dennis. It was the largest dental referral business in the country with over 250 employees and serving every state. In over 30 years, it generated over $1 billion in revenue. Now Fred lectures and writes on his systematic approach to developing the superpower of boldness called the pride method. It's based on his latest book, Super Bold. He coaches teams on building their confidence and boldness and does high-level coaching with CEOs. Two humble brags, and I would not be humble about these. I, I, I would be all over the place with these. Um, he beat Sir Richard Branson once in a game of chess, and he was also a Jeopardy question. Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Harlan. Excited to be here. Absolutely. How did you meet Sir Richard Branson, and and where were you playing chess? So he owns an island. He owns a couple of islands in the British Virgin Islands, and he he rents one out to business people. So I was down there with a group of business people uh, for a week, and uh, and sometimes he's there, and sometimes he's not. And we knew that he was probably going to be there, so we were all playing tennis. And I ruptured my Achilles tendon oh. uh, playing tennis. And I couldn't go anywhere. And my surgeon said, you might as well stay there. It's not going to heal itself. I'll fix it when you get back. And so Richard came up to me and he said, oh, this is such a bother that this has happened to you. Do you do play chess? And, and this is, of course, this is a bold move, right? Because I hadn't played chess in 40 years, right? And so the, a normal person would go like, oh, no, no, I don't play chess. I went, yeah, I play chess and I play such an unorthodox game <laughs> that I beat him. He's like, he couldn't figure out what I was doing because I didn't know what I was doing. And at one point I went, you know, uh, that's check. Uh, actually, it's checkmate. And he looks at me and he just calls me a bad name and he sets the board up immediately. Um, and and we became, you know, we we played the whole week. Uh, he would find me to play a game of chess and he, we, we would sit and talk at, at dinner and stuff. And so just because I said, yes, it's, you know, that's the lesson. Say yes Say in yes. those moments and see what happens. So what that if is. he beats you in 30 seconds? He, exactly. He'll enjoy it. Right. Absolutely. And a Jeopardy question. How did you become a Jeopardy question? It's because of 800 dentists, but it, they just had a category of 800 phone numbers. Okay. And I, it, we wasn't a paid placement or anything like that. I just got a text from a friend of mine said, you know, you were on Jeopardy. And I went, well, I don't think I was. And he goes, no, he shows me the image and it's the categories, 800 numbers. And it says, uh, Fred Joyle shows his pearly whites in these 800 commercials. And of course, the 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 question is is I'm actually I was a Jeopardy answer technically. Yeah, right. And so the question is, what is one eight hundred dentist? Nice. And so <laughs> that's my that's my bragging rights. I was also uh, on. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? That was great fun too. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
And I lost everything on the last question. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> bet it all and lost. Nice. So. Very cool. All right. That is awesome. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about how you got your start. Uh, talk about 1-800-DENTIST and talk about your books and some of the stuff you're doing right now. But before we get to all that, I have 10 questions. These are questions that I ask every one of my guests, questions made popular on the TV show Inside the Actress Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Fred, yeah. if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Uh, my favorite word is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go real simple. It's yes. Okay. All right. What is your least favorite word? Maybe. <laughs> what turns you on? Finding out what really excites someone. What are they passionate about? Nice. And what turns you off? Uh, bullies and bragging. Great. What sound or noise do you love? I like all kinds of music, but the, the, the sound I like mu most in music is a saxophone. Nice. Very cool. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, that backup beep that's on all the trucks <laughs> and is in your Prius if you can't figure out how to shut it off. <laughs> all right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Well, this is, I, uh, I, there's a little more story to this because when I was 14, I was working in this restaurant as a dishwasher and the owner had a stream of profanity about everything. And I had never heard such colorful language in all my life. Um, and I'm going to link it to uh, a, a joke that, that I'll tell you the, really the first part of it is, is this guy's asking people what they do on this game show. And one guy says, uh, I, I, I work in a coal mine and I put all the Coke into bags. I'm a Coke sacker. Right. And another guy says, well, my job is, uh, that, uh, I work in a, in a department store and I'm the one that makes sure that the, the socks are tucked into the shoes. I'm a sock tucker. Right. So, and then the fourth guy says, I'm the real thing. Um, so, or the third guy. So, uh, so my, this guy, everything, my boss at this restaurant would say, everything was an MFing sock tucker, right? Like nothing. It, it would just like fly off the handle. So it sort of gets programmed into your brain. Right. And so that you find yourself with, with little things like you spill something and you, you say it yourself. And you're like, why am I saying this? Right. Like, what the heck? Children are running. Um, exactly. So anyway, but uh, but but I, I, I like uh, to drop the occasional F-bomb for its intensity. I try not to overuse it, but uh, I find it, uh, it it spices things up. <laughs> there you go. All right. Question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I, I would very much like uh, to be a, a, I think it's, uh, I forget what they 
call them, but, but it, would, it, it would, I would like to be a tour, generally a tour guide, like to anywhere in the world. I would like to take people to a, a, a different country and show them all the interesting things. I would like to be like a, a, a secret, uh, you know, behind the scenes tour guide, take them nice. to all the interesting little places that yeah. they wouldn't, that aren't in the tour book. Very nice. Very cool. All right. What, what profession would you not like to do? Uh, there's about 200 of those. Um, but I'll, 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 this is another quick story is my partner and I, when we started 800 dentists and we didn't know if it was going to work or not, we were just working every day, doing everything we could to make it work and blowing all our money and then living on nothing. And we would be driving to lunch and we'd see these guys working on roof you know, doing roofing in California in the middle of summer. And we would look at each other and go, well, at least we're not working with yeah. hot tar. Exactly. Right. So Absolutely. and that was, that was like, yeah, cause I've, I've done hot outdoor summer manual labor and it's not fun, but hot liquid and the hot sun gotta yeah. be rough. Yeah, definitely. All right. Final question. Uh, number 10, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, eat whatever you want. <laughs> awesome. That sounds good to me. All right. We're going to come back in a minute. We're going to talk about how you got your start, um, uh, how you got into the 1-800-DENTIST, uh, and we're talking about your books. And at some point, we're going to transition into talking about courage and leadership. All right. So listeners, yeah. we'll be back right after this message. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Fred Joyle. Fred, thanks again for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. How did you How did you get your start? You're not a dentist, right? You're a, no. like a marketing guy, marketing and copywriting guy. Isn't that where you got your start? Yeah. So I, my, the first real career I had was working in an ad agency as a copywriter. Uh, and I loved it when I, I didn't know what I wanted to do until the day I walked into an ad agency and I had that moment. It was like, this is my tribe. These are my people. <laughs> I could actually do this because I was not a particularly good employee because I didn't, I was just doing jobs for money. Uh, and so I weaseled my way into the ad business and got good at it after a while, but I didn't like the career arc, which swoops up nicely and then falls off a cliff at 50 years old. And I saw these guys getting laid off at 50 and, and they were making back then quarter of a million dollars a year. And then they couldn't, they couldn't get a $70,000 a year job after that for the rest of their career. And I thought, I don't want that to happen to me. So my, my friend Gary and I started 1-800-DENTIST. A friend of us had actually had the phone number and he said, I think you guys could turn this into a business. So we were young and dumb enough to think we could do it. And uh, we just hammered away at it. I used my advertising knowledge and me what I had learned about media buying and, 
and all the other things we picked up from every business. And we just, we had one goal. We wanted a, a place that we wanted to go to every day. So we, we were created culture long before people were thinking and throwing culture around as an important word. And that's what we created. I mean, my, my last month at 800 Dentist, we celebrated three 25 year employees in that wow. month. Wow. So uh, that was one, that was a very gratifying moment because I, because real culture is when they sustain it even without you. And that's yeah. what had to be happening. So exactly. I mean, years ago, you heard of people starting a job. My dad worked at Lockheed Aircraft for 38 years or something like that. But that was because that was the only job really around in the area. I mean, he, he liked what he did. He was good. But um, you don't hear of those long-term employees anymore. And to have a culture like that where people want to stay, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we actually kept people too long. We would eventually say, we would, you need to move on. You need to go find something else. You're you're stalled here, and but you're too comfortable. And they go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But so we kick them to the curb, and they'd thank us and say, yeah, thank you. I needed to move on with my life. But there were a lot of people that they they started as a phone operator in the place, worked their way worked their way right up to vice president. That was wow. that was very satisfying. We actually had on the doors of of many of the offices, we had a little sticker that said, "I started as an operator," nice. uh, just to inspire people to say, "This is what you can do." Yeah. So that's cool. And the 1-800 dentist, I, you guys were at the very front of that trend for the 1-800 numbers, right? There's a lot of them out there now, 1-800 flowers and blah. weren't you guys like one of the first ones that came out? Yeah. Well, 800 flowers. And we started at the, at the very beginning of really turning mnemonic phone numbers, uh, phone numbers that actually said what you did. Uh, and it, and they were there, they were rare. That would be seven digits. And it was what you did, like 800 mattress, uh, you, you know, uh, and AT&T had one, I think, that, that made sense. But flowers, there, there weren't very many that could be that perfectly descriptive. Yeah. And it allowed us to do a, a, a lot more copy in the ads because you didn't have to say your phone number over and over again. Right. Yeah. And so... Uh, and people would remember it. You know, most direct marketing, your half-life of your ad is 90 seconds. We, we measured our half-life at 90 days, which wow. is incredible. Um, and so we had a long heyday of, of television advertising, driving leads from all over the country into our call center. Uh, eventually, Google uh, disintermediated us along with a lot of other types of businesses like that. But I mean, it's still there, but it's a pale shadow of what it once was. Yeah. And I sold it about five years ago. Very nice. Very cool. And you wrote two books during that time, right? Everything is marketing and becoming remarkable. And they are geared towards dentists also, right? Yeah, they were about, I, I learned a lot about what patients were looking for and how to attract them, but also from a lot of different sources, how to turn a potential patient into a productive patient who accepts treatment. Um, and so I taught a lot of advertising and, and marketing principles to dentists. I put all of that stuff into two books. It actually turned into the best brochure for the business because we gave the books away to dentists. Um, but it, it started to develop, to develop my own reputation in the industry as a thought leader on practice marketing. So I, I eventually turned it into a very extensive public speaking career as well. 
Very cool. But how did you, how did you settle on the niche of, of dentist? I mean, you're not a dentist. You don't have a dental background. Was it just through uh, that friend that had the 800 number? It was that. And I had a really weird dentist who was a holistic dentist back before they were using that term. And, and I, so it clicked with me. I thought, how would anybody find this guy? Um, if they were looking for this specific, because Yellow Pages was it, right? And, yeah. and Yellow Pages was regional. And, and, who, and usually the bigger the ad in the Yellow Pages, the worse the dentist was. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it, it really made sense to me to do what actually Yelp and other sites do now is let, let's refer, let's screen the doctors that we put on to make, and, and then match people with the right dentist and have more information. We would check their license. We would know all the insurances that they took. We would, we would get feedback from anybody who wanted to give it to us, and that would become part of the dentist profile. And if we, you know, occasionally we'd have to kick a dentist off because we'd get like four or five complaints and people look like he tries to overcharge everybody or mm -hmm. he runs behind an hour or two with every new patient or whatever. Um, but most of the time, the really good dentists clinically were really terrible at promoting themselves yeah. so we attracted better dentists you know and i mean most dentists are good there's some that are extraordinary and there's a few that aren't great but you know you're going to go through a lot to become a dentist so yeah. to not be good at it you, you gotta <laughs> you gotta have bad hands or something right. or a really bad attitude um and so that's that's a tiny fraction but but the the good practitioners uh needed us. And so we had guys that we, we built their entire practice. Uh, they'd stay with us. They were with us 20 years. Wow. Um, they were, sometimes we'd get the next generation Their Their daughter would graduate from dental school and come in and, and take over the, the practice and the membership. Mm -hmm. It was, that was kind of gratifying. Wow. But uh, that's the thing is I've had other people on the show where we talk about uh, doctors, lawyers, dentists, you're taught the craft, but you're not taught how to run an office. You're not taught how to market yourself, how to you know hire and, and retain great employees and stuff like that. Did this transition into actually coaching with them? Uh, we stayed in our lane in terms of coaching on marketing because there's a lot more to running a dental business mm -hmm. and there are terrific coaches. So we aligned ourselves with coaching companies like Fortune Management, for okay. example, which is the largest uh, dental coaching company in the country, uh, who, who could really put the systems in place and tell them all of the other stuff they had to have in mind. And we would just dovetail with the marketing side because, and I, and I could certainly coach dentists on, on business, but not to the level of detail that Fortune did. And I, I liked what we did and I didn't like uh, having to teach dentists be, uh, how to, how to be business people. Cause not only did they not have any education in it, the personality type didn't fit it most of mm -hmm. the time. They were artist engineer types. They were not, they, they lacked a lot of leadership strength um, and common sense. They're, they're, reflexive business behavior was sometimes just horrifying. Um, and they would get away with a lot of it because they ran a small business and it was mostly women working for them and stuff. And, and, uh, and then it was 
a fairly profitable business. So you could do a lot wrong in a dental practice and still make good money. Okay. Yeah. You can make great (laughs) money if you did most of the things right, but you could, it's very hard to go out of business as a dentist. Very few failures. Banks love to lend them money because the failure rate on on loans is like 3% or something like that with dentists. That's crazy. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So tell me about super bold. What, what uh, brought you to the superpower of boldness? I grew up as a very shy person and missed a ton of opportunities. I couldn't ask a girl on a date. I couldn't make a, I ask them to dance. I couldn't do all of this stuff that I wanted to do. And I was always hesitating. And I was in various points in my life, I would see bold people and I would wonder why are they like this? How did they get this? Are they born this way? They must be. Because I don't, uh, why are they not processing rejection like I am? Why are they not embarrassed? Why are they not hesitating? But I got really sick of missing opportunities. I got frustrated. I got angry. And I just said, I've got to find a way to work my way out of this. And I started looking at the times when I did make bold moves and something wonderful would happen and and something would blossom from it. and many times way beyond what I imagined, just because I stepped up, I spoke up, I, I said, yes, I tried something. And, uh, and, I, and I thought, I've got to get better and better and better at this. So I started to really study how bold people thought and behaved and emulated it and just learned to be comfortable with my discomfort. Nice. And, and because I was rewarding myself whenever I did it. And not frustrated and not having a series of regrets and I should haves that I told myself. And so I eventually was uh, mentoring this group of high school students. I was part of a a group of mentors. We were doing this weekend course and they asked me to do my life lessons. And so one of my life lessons was boldness is a superpower. And hesitation is the opportunity killer. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to step up and step out of your comfort zone because that's where all the great stuff happens. And that's how you chase your dreams. And they, the students were like, we love this, but we don't know how to do it. Um, and I thought, I have to get this down to something systematic. So I made a, a stage promise, which is, you know, make a publicly declared goal. Now you're stuck with it. Yep. And so... <laughs> I said, I, all right, I will write a book on this. And it took me years to actually get it done. Uh, but it, it allowed me to really distill it down to something very applicable. It's, you know, it is a book that is, tells you the, how to have the right mindset and then some social skills and behavior and communication skills, what to do, what not to do, what not to say in a bunch of situations, how not to behave. But, and how to behave to connect with people, but then a series of exercises that are, that, that are designed to build your boldness muscle nice. from a very simple level to as bold as you want to be, much faster than it, it took me. It took yeah. me decades, and I've got it. I, you can have a profound effect on your life. You can radically change your boldness in 90 days if you do the exercises every day. And that's your pride method. Talk to us about that. What is pride? So pride is an acronym uh, that stands for the five steps that you would apply to the exercises. 
and and basically to building your boldness in any situation that where you want to be bold. So it's the five words are preparation, relaxing, insight, dosage, and everyday action. So let's talk about preparation. We're constantly in social situations and yet nobody trains us to do even basic things like how to shake hands, how to make eye contact, yep. how to ask questions that show that you're interested in somebody, what to say, how, how to make good small talk, how to, how to make somebody feel like they're the most important, most interesting person in the room. These are learnable life skills, mm -hmm. but it starts with basic preparation. Same thing as if you're going to do a presentation or a lecture, either to your team uh, in the office or on a stage, you're going to prepare yourself. You're going to prepare what you're going to say so that you're not there wondering, you're not trying to pull it all out of your head because it's going to be right. chaotic. The more anxious you are, the worse it's going to be. Mm -hmm. So the preparation helps to start to relax you, which is step two, but I'll go into that in a minute. But the other thing about preparation, even if it's just walking up to somebody in a, in a meeting, you know, in a business meeting and just introducing yourself or just introducing yourself to somebody in a Starbucks and just think of what you're going to say. Think of a compliment you can mm -hmm. offer them. Mm -hmm. That's preparation. What yes. preparation does is it's the foundation for spontaneity because you have a fallback nice. to what you're going to say. And then you, you feel comfortable enough to be spontaneous in the moment because you go, well, I can always say those are terrific glasses or that's a nice yeah. suit or that handbag looks great. Um, but in the moment, you can come up with something else because you're, you're in, a, in a different place. And the next step is relaxing. And, and you know, growing up, people would always tell me that. would say, why don't you just relax? And it's like, oh my gosh, do I look nervous? I know I'm nervous. You can tell I'm nervous which makes you twice as nervous, right? right. Makes you anxiety noticed doubles. Um, and so when you learn to relax and you can't, and people would say, why don't you just relax? And they say, why don't you tell me how to relax? Um, I tell you how to relax in the book. The first step is to con take control of your physiology. Notice where you're tense. Are your arms folded tight? Is your shoulders up around your ears? Are you you're tensing? Are you holding your breath? What are you doing that's not helping? Because your autonomic system is perceiving danger. So it's doing all sorts of crazy things, right? That are not appropriate because we've interpreted we interpreted the danger. And we have the same physical reaction to psychological danger as physical danger. The same chemicals, the same physical reaction. Interesting. Yeah. So so you check your physiology, change it, shake it off, and then breathe. Just control your breathing. Take three deep breaths. If you want and you can and there's nobody listening, you just go and vibrate the vagus nerve and go, ha. And it's, it's this nerve that runs all the way from your neck down through your solar plexus, and it will relax you. Nice. And, and very quickly. And then once you realize you can relax yourself, it has this, the inverse effect as anxiety being noticed, right? Is I, I can relax myself, so it makes me more relaxed. Oh, I can just relax myself. And of course, now your cognitive skills are back up and your memories back up and, and you can 
say what you want to say. Your tongue actually works and you're giving yourself <laughs> oxygen. You're doing all those very important things. The next step of the pride method, the I, is insight. And there are some very important insights. I go into great detail in the book, but one of the basic insights that bold people have is they know that people are not thinking about them anywhere near as much as they think they are. Exactly. And this, if you can just wrap your head around that idea that people aren't thinking about you that much, they're thinking about themselves, right? They may, and, and then tie it to, even if they are thinking about you and have a judgment about you, do they know you? Is it accurate? If somebody calls you a jerk because you called them, uh, you cut them off driving, are you a jerk? Do you need to become, oh, I guess I'm a jerk. <laughs> they call me a jerk. That must be who I am. No, we, we, people have instant judgments. We love creating judgments based on what somebody's wearing or their haircut or the way they stand or the sound of their voice. We have a million ways of categorizing people. 99% of the time we're wrong about those people, but we do it anyway. So when you flip it over and say, okay, so they're wrong about me. So why would I take it on? So, and then the other big insight that bold people learned early is 99% of the time, nothing bad happens. Nothing bad happens unless you label it as bad. And that's a huge difference when you, when you, because, because everybody else is coming up with all of the things that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're going to laugh at me. I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to fail. I'm going to be embarrassed. I don't, not worthy. I don't belong here. They've got Dr. No, as I call it, is, is screaming in their head, right? You need a doctor. Yes. Saying something really good could happen. Something really interesting could happen. You do belong here. I love people telling themselves I belong everywhere. It's a powerful mantra to say that wherever you are, you belong here because we're constantly telling ourselves, Oh, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I fit. I don't, you know, bold people don't do that. Right. They don't put energy into that. They go wherever I am, I belong. See what happens. I could, I could embarrass myself. I could, I could be the, you know, I've, I've been the, the least successful person in many rooms, but I don't walk around telling myself I don't belong there. Yeah. We're all people. And I've met billionaires because of it and had regular conversations with them just because they're a human being and I'm a human being and we're all bumbling our way through life. Excellent. And the other thing is everybody's interesting. Mm-hmm. If you take the time, everybody is interesting. And when you start to think that way and behave that way, because what shy people do and underconfident people do is they have whole categories of people that they don't want to meet so that they don't have to meet people so that they don't, they can avoid strangers. So they categorize them, right? Oh, I don't really want to know those people. I don't want to know those people. I don't want to meet these kind of people. I want to meet these kind of people, this tiny, tiny group of people just right. like me. Um, and we're going to talk about comic books and that's it. Right. right? Um, and, but if you take the time and, and say, if I, if I dig deep enough, I'm going to find something really interesting about this person. Sure. Just the right, or the right question. Yeah. You know, what, what, what was the most interesting thing that happened to you this year? What, what, what gets you most excited? What, just like your questions, what, do you, what would you never want to do as a career? Yeah. That's a great opening question for somebody because sure. they'll go like, 
wow, you know, actually I had that job. (laughs) (laughs) That taught me I I never wanted to be a stockbroker after I did. I thought I wanted to be. I hated it. Right. Um, And 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 you're off and running because now you just go. Tell me more that Mm -hmm. those three words love that allow you to discover somebody. Tell me more. Because like I said, people like to talk about themselves. They like to be engaged. And you ask them uh, the the mundane question, right? Uh, What do you do? That's boring. Ask them, you know, uh, where have you, most incredible place you've ever traveled? And then tell me more. Tell me about that. How it was like, awesome. Love it. Yeah. 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 And you you just keep peeling it back more and more because eventually they're going to reveal something fairly personal about like, well, the reason it was so great was it was actually my honeymoon. uh, And and we had we couldn't go on our honeymoon for a year because of COVID. We finally got to go and it was so great. It's like, you know, and, and our marriage was actually struggling because of COVID. And all of a sudden, here we are in Ireland and we're just having the greatest time and we're tracing our ancestors. Really? You have Irish ancestors? Tell me about that. Did you, yeah. did you go back to the town where they were from? You, you, you can just peel back oh, yeah. and then they'll eventually say, you know, my, my, my mom was Irish and she would have, she died a couple of years ago and I, she would have loved to have gone back to the old country, but she never could. Wow. Suddenly this guy lost his mom two years ago. Now, you know, something really serious. Yeah. And all you did was just be interested. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So dosage, what is dosage? It's how you grow your boldness muscle is you control the intensity of the venture outside your comfort zone. You don't like if you're, if you say, I really want to start to meet new people. You don't go to a party of 300 people where you don't know anybody and you don't know how to dress for the occasion. You're going to hide in the bathroom or you're going to leave or you're going to meet nobody. Um, but what you would do is in, even in that situation, you control the dosage. You say, I'm going to meet one person and really get to know them. And then I'm going to move on. But then I'm going to be all right. If I meet one person, I hit my goal. And so dosage is about building this bolt. It is a muscle just like anything else. And you can retreat too far back because you made it too intense for yourself. Um, and, and, and it's just, it's just, just like exercises. You wouldn't, if you were trying to get in shape, you wouldn't start by trying to bench press 300 pounds because right. you're going to break your rib cage, right? And you're not going to work out for a long time. Um, it's, uh, so it's all of these things to build yourself up incrementally so you're in you're in a constant reward cycle like having that conversation with that person and you find out that they lost their mom and you say wow that's that's how are you dealing with that you must miss her quite a bit um and and all of a sudden you're making that person feel an emotional connection you're building this tremendous neurological reward loop for yourself but you could do something as simple as what I call a throwaway compliment is, is you see somebody and you just tell them, wow, that, 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 you know, that necktie is, is an amazing choice. I, I don't even know where you could buy a necktie like that. It's amazing. And then you just move on and they go, Oh, thank you. And you know, like I, I found it in this amazing store in new Orleans and, and that's it. You have no agenda. You have no ulterior motive. It's a total drive by. Nice but they made, you made somebody feel good about themselves. Something as simple as 
I do this all the time. I'm in a Starbucks. I'll come, I'll get my drink and I'll, I'll turn and then I'll come back to the barista and I'll say, excuse me. Now they're worried right. that I'm going to go to something <laughs> wrong with a drink. And I, I'll, and I'll say, I just wanted to let you know, this is absolutely perfect. And you see them beaming, right? Because yeah. they don't get that. They get the mm-hmm. complaints. That's who comes back to them. So they make 400 drinks in a day. Nobody nice. tells them how good it is. So why not be that one? Why not be that person? So when you do that, you're building the boldness muscle and then you step it up. You keep stepping up. And then now the exercises get pretty crazy after a while because you're just trying to make it so no matter what the stakes, you're bold enough when it matters. That's the exercises, just like you get in shape so that you're strong and healthy. You don't get in shape because you want to be able to take push 300 pounds off your chest. Right. Like that, that nobody, that situation just doesn't come up that often where you need to get 300 pounds off your chest. Um, <laughs> so it's the same thing. There are times in life when boldness is going to matter. You're going to need to step up. You're going to need to speak up. You're going to need to take a risk. You're going to need to deal with a failure. You're going to, you're going to want to meet somebody or ask for a promotion or ask for a raise or start a business mm-hmm. or give a eulogy. And you say, wow, I'm not comfortable speaking in front of people too bad. This is the one chance you get to yeah. say how you felt about this person. It's not a performance, right? but you're, you're never going to get another chance to do that. You want to be able to get up in front of that room and speak from your heart and say how you felt about that person. That's what the boldness muscles for. Nice. So, and so that's, so the dosage is to just build it steadily. And that's the exercises are meant to take you at whatever speed you can handle further and further into your discomfort zone. So your comfort zone gets bigger. Sure. Um, And that your default mode is to act boldly rather than act with underconfidence. So the final step is everyday action. Do something every day to build your boldness muscle. Because this tells your brain, this is who you are. This is a rewiring of your self-definition is I'm somebody who, who steps up, who takes bold action, who does bold stuff because you're doing it every day. It's just like you're, if you exercise every day in some way, your brain just says, I'm somebody who exercises. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you play piano every day for five minutes, your brain says, I play piano. Or you're writing a novel, you write every day on it. Your brain says, I'm a writer. If you dabble in it, if you're a weekend warrior, your brain says, I'm a dabbler, right? And you have to restart yourself, rewind yep. yourself. Yep. And the other thing that happens when you don't do something every day is your dreams will decay because you're not getting to them because a week goes by and a month goes by and a year goes by. It's why everybody gets in shape in January. By March, nobody's at the gym anymore. Um, it's because a day turned into a week, turned into a month of not getting to it. And all of a sudden a year goes by and you didn't get to it. When you get to something every day, it aggregates. When you don't, it deteriorates. Mm. So that's what everyday action, it's, that's a life skill yeah. is to get to what's important every day. And it could be as simple as saying yes to something that you've never said yes to before. Right? Yeah. Or just say, look, I, it's, I haven't met anybody all day. I'm going to go meet somebody. I'm going to go, I'm going to go say hi to somebody. I'm going to go, you know, just find some place where I can say hi and, and have a basic interaction. 
you know, there's people working everywhere. You can walk up and talk to them. Sure. Um, you know, and I, I, I was talking to somebody who was trying to, he says, I'm trying to teach my kid to be bolder. Um, I said, well, you're, you're pushing him too hard. He can't, you're pushing him too deep, you're overdosing him. Mm-hmm. I said, why not just make it so everywhere you go with him, he says thank you to that person and uses their name because they got a name tag. Mm-hmm. And let him watch what happens when he says, thank you, Elizabeth. And you know, they're getting, you're getting a Frappuccino or something like that or ice cream or whatever. Everybody's got name tags. If they got a name tag, teach your kid to use it use the name so tag. that he or she develops that loop of positivity. It's like, wow, all I did was say their name and they're, they're smiling. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and it's like, you say, yeah, guess what? You get to do that everywhere. Yep. Say something nice to somebody. You want sprinkle your fairy dust all around wherever you go and, and enjoy it. That's Speak awesome. Speak up. Yep. Very so. cool. And I, I had a guy on the podcast a couple of months back, uh, Fletcher Ellingson, who basically the same thing. He wanted to overcome um, his fear of rejection. So he started forcing himself to go up and ask people questions. He would, uh, Starbucks, he walked up to a woman and said, would you like to have a staring contest? <laughs> and she goes, sure. And they did. And they had a great conversation afterwards. He would walk up to somebody and just ask, can I take a cuts in front of you just for no good reason? Right. Sometimes they'd say yes. Sometimes they'd say no. But it, it got to a point where, you know, you get more comfortable with they're saying no to the proposal, not to me. Now, what right? he wrote a book about this, right? Didn't he? Yeah. Fletcher? He did. I think he did. Uh, I forget the name of the title right now, but yeah. What's his last great. name? Ellingson. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 he, this is exactly like the boldness exercise. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if he started gradually or if he just said, just start doing this crazy stuff, but he that's started, the point. Exactly. Yeah. Just do it. Get out there. Like I said, every day, do it. And he set up a goal for himself that so every day he would ask somebody something. One time he was out visiting in California and he saw He's walking down the street in a residential neighborhood and he looked up the driveway and up on top of this little hill was a garage. The garage was open and there's a ping pong table in there. And he thought, gosh, I can't pass this up. So he went up and knocked on the door and said, I would, you know, is anybody here like to play ping pong? Who would do stuff like that? You know, but he did. And that's his whole thing to, you know, overcome that, that fear of rejection. That's awesome. Well, and you know, it's funny because in my book, I talk about one of the the trigger moments for me in boldness is I was in China and I'll shorten the story considerably, but we were walking around these, this small neighborhood and we came upon these group of blacksmiths who were working outside and they were pounding on this. uh, They were making uh, ax blades and they had a giant forge and they were pulling the blades out. And then two guys would hit, in mm-hmm. in in rhythm bing 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 and and we were watching them and i wanted to just go up and say let me let me take a swing at this right <laughs> but i had all these things in my head that stopped me oh they don't they don't speak english they're not going to want me to wreck an axe blade but and so i didn't ask mm. and i and it gnawed at me because i thought what a cool thing to have done and what and I started to tell myself what actually would have happened most likely is they would have let me do it, 
and they would have talked about it forever. Remember the crazy American that came and wanted to <laughs> pound on it, and he got all sweaty, and he got sparks on his shirt and burned holes in them, and they laughing at him, and and eventually he got pretty good at it, mm -hmm. you know. That's what a great thing to have what done. What an amazing story. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It would have been, it would have topped everything that I had. I saw the Great Wall of China, big deal, right? Um, this would have been great. And that's the thing. That's what boldness can do is when you say, why not instead of why? Exactly. Very cool. Don't Super be the bold. one to stop yourself. Bold <laughs> people are never the ones that stop themselves. Oh, yeah. They let somebody else try. They don't write book uh, about non-bold people, right? They write books and, and, you know, bards sing songs about these bold people. So yeah, be bold. Um, courage. Where did you find your courage? You know? I, I think I found it mostly driven by uh, loss, loss, missed opportunities, mm. painful missed opportunities. I never got to eulogize my father. Um, and because I, I wasn't, I wasn't at a point in my life where I could get up in front of people. And I was able to do it with my mother because I hadn't with my father. And so I, it, you know, it comes from that basic understanding is that because everybody starts with the misunderstanding is they think courage, courageous people aren't afraid because that's, that's how it seems. Right. And you right. say, no, I'm terrified. Right. But I'm doing it anyway. Uh, you know, if you're if you're not afraid, it doesn't take any courage. Right. You're just doing something that you may be pretty good at or really good at um, or really comfortable doing. When you realize that hesitation and fear uh, are preventing you from doing what you not just what you want to do, but what you ought to do. Right. That's a big shift when you under, when you see your life from a standpoint of connection and service. You realize there are times when you you need to do what you ought to do. Now it may just be offer your arm to a to an old lady who's crossing the street or something as simple as that, or it or it may be that you need to uh, you know reconcile with an old friend that you've had a grudge with for 20 years and you realize this is one of us is going to die. Yeah. Right. And, and we're going to carry, we're, we're, we're going to carry this burden forever because we never fixed it. Yeah. And what you ought to do is call them up and say, we should have dinner. That's, that's a, when you shift into that, because I, when I talk about boldness and, and you're using your confidence in action, it's not to get over people and it's not to do crazy dangerous stuff. It's like, I'm not saying put on a squirrel suit and go just jump <laughs> off a mountain. Right. That's, that's not boldness. That's, you know, you're an adrenaline junkie, right. Yeah, or you're yeah. just really it's careless. Just right. Uh, yeah, no, this is about boldness in, in pursuing your dreams, in connecting with human beings, in bringing your full self to the world, because that's what the world deserves is the full you why not be able to offer that them why not have the courage to offer that that to them yeah and let them do you 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 have value to bring to anybody you meet if you take the time absolutely
Very cool. Um, for you have people working for you, I'm pretty sure, right? You've got uh, assistants that, that help you out with everything you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm down to one now, but yes. really, yeah, because of COVID or just. I mean, I have resources that I, that I, you know, I have a web builder and an editor, and but my virtual assistant is the only one that uh, has to do everything, right? <laughs> Whatever comes and up, and they do, and they're great at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but if I was to bump into any of these people that have worked for you in the past um, and talk to them about your leadership style, what would they tell me? What type of leader are you? Uh, I, I'm a non-hierarchical leader. Uh, I'm, I, I see my role and always saw my role as growing people, giving them an opportunity to get better and giving them as much as I could the tools to get better and giving them a great place to work by making it a business where the customer benefits the client benefits, the customer being the patient in our case, the client being the dentist, the employees benefit and we benefit as owners and the world benefits. We're making people healthier in our business. Uh, you know, Gary and I were never going to start a business where somebody had to lose for us to win because he had already been a stockbroker. He didn't want to do that. Um, and, but there, you know, we were never going to pollute the environment. We were never going to make it so that for for us to win the earth loses or right. some group of people loses so they saw me as a a, a conscientious leader nice. that wanted them to be better um and also and wanted them to have fun to have work be a place where they wanted to show up every day because that's where they're going to spend at least mm -hmm. a third of their life uh more like half their waking state um and so, uh, and they, I think they saw me as creative, um, playful, uh, aware of my strengths and weaknesses. After a while, I wasn't always aware of them, but as I became aware of them, I became great at abdicating what I was not good at. Um, and it happened with my partner and I uh, uh, initially because he was a great salesman and I was a great uh, creator. I could never do the pitch twice. I had to do right. it different every time. He could do it <laughs> right the first time, every, yeah, time, every time, and just refine it. Um, so uh, I let him run the sales team and train the sales team. And he let me run the, the media and marketing side of it. And then we just, we learned as we went. Uh, I think they saw me as somebody always trying to get better. Yeah. How, how, you know, I was always looking for some way to improve myself as a, as a leader of a business. Um, and then, and then I, and they knew I cared about them. Yeah. They knew that they could come to me with anything. And if I could help them, I would. And that the business was there to, to make it so that they could have a life. We had a whole bunch of people in the call center that their dream wasn't to be a telephone operator. Sure. Their dream was to be a musician or an actor. Uh, and the job allowed them to eat while they chased their dream. And that was fine with us. Uh, like, you know, mm -hmm. chase your dream, but do this job really well. And you, and you'll have a roof over sure. your head. 
and we'll give you the week off if you get a gig that you have to go on. Exactly. Um, so they, they saw us as supporting their dreams, even if their dreams weren't part of our, uh, of their job. Well, and that came through, you said the, the culture you built at Warden 800 Dentists purposely built that culture yeah. so that you would have longevity and everything like that. And I try to tell my clients, same thing. If you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers who will then take care of the business, take care of you, right? So always look out for Well, and, and they, they also knew that my, my firm belief was that the customer wasn't always right. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that I was going to protect them. If we had, let's say we had a dentist who felt, you know, some people get very, they're feeling very empowered when they're on the phone and they start cursing out my customer service person. I'd say he's off, he's off the program. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, cause there's a lot of businesses that would just say, you know, you got to eat their crap. That's part of the job. Right. And I said, yeah, well, they, they can complain all they want and we'll take care of it. But if they get abusive, they're off and they would call back and apologize. And I would say, apology accepted. You're still off. And when my employees saw that they, they defended the culture because I knew they knew that I had their back even more that, you know, the customer didn't wag the dog. Right. And it's a very powerful message to give to people. Absolutely. A lot of times they, the, like the vice president, I would say, wait a minute, I just heard about this. Let me call that dentist back. And they go, no, no, you don't, don't you call him. We got it. We'll take care of it. We'll take care of it. So no, I'm going to, let me call him. They're like, no, because they know I'm going to scorch the guy. Yeah. It's like, you don't get to talk to my people that way. Buddy, awesome. you know, but how uh, powerful that is to to know as an employee to know that your boss has your back. That's great. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So, what's next for you? I mean, you've got all the books uh, behind you. Uh, any more books coming out? Uh, you know, but what always happens is you people come to you and say, "What's the next book?" And I actually have the next book in my mind uh, that I'm going to start writing, um, and it's based on a very simple concept and I talked about it, I touched on it just slightly, uh, but it's the, the energy, emotional energy in particular that we waste holding grudges. Mm. Um, and it comes from this, this great quote that says, uh, resentment is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. Right. And when you understand how much energy you put into resentment, and the other person doesn't even care. Even no, they don't or even know, know about it. Right. Right. So I do want to write a book about, I'm still trying to find the title, but it's like release the grudge, yes. right. Or, you know, uh, solve the grudge or whatever, uh, but it's going it, to, but it's about that concept. But really what I'm, I'm doing now is, uh, you know, I like coaching CEOs and, mm -hmm. and helping them, you know, I have 30 years of business experience. I've made, multi-million dollar mistakes that I could help them from hitting the, the potholes that I hit and guide them into how to create a, a great and thriving business by my mistakes and my, my successes. Um, and I'm, I'm putting together a workshop for Super Bowl where people can come for two days nice. and I'll, I'll transform them into, you know, in 48 hours, uh, people won't recognize them when I'm done with them. So uh, I'm, I'm working on that. But if all I did was get super bold as a message out to the world for the rest of my life, 
that would be enough. That would be very gratifying to get that Absolutely. message and that learning out there. Well, I love the whole, the whole topic, super bold. I think that's great. Um, and yeah, I think everybody could, could benefit from that. If people want to get in touch with you or, or uh, find out more about your programs, how can they do that? What, what is your website? fredjoyle.com, J-O-Y-A-L, no dots or dashes or anything like that. Um, so fredjoyle.com. You can buy my books on Amazon. It's audio, Kindle, and hardcover. It's me reading the audio. Uh, because there are so many exercises in the book, I want you to have them. So if you do a digital version, you can go to fredjoyle.com, download the exercises in a PDF form. Because nice. it's a book about taking action. It's not a book about, oh, these are interesting ideas. I like them. This is about, you're going to do something. You, you want to get bolder, you're going to do the exercises, and you're going to see the results. Um, they can download the first chapter if they want on my website. Um, and if they want to, uh, you know, obviously, if they want me as a keynote speaker to coach their team, they can set up a consultation with me and do that. But if they're just looking for a half an hour conversation with me, you know, they feel like trapped somehow in their life or they're, you know, they don't know what to do or how to get out of their shyness or underconfidence or it's affect, they're a CEO and it's saying like, look, I know I need this life skill and I don't have it. Book a half hour consultation with me. I'll talk you through it. I'm not going to charge you for it. Awesome. And that's available on your website too, the link? Yeah. For that? It's Perfect. a button. Push the it's button. button. <laughs> Be bold. Push the button. Yeah. Good and that takes boldness to, to push the button and go, uh, I got a problem. Oh, you know, I, it's, it, it takes boldness to ask for feedback. It yeah. takes boldness to ask for help. It takes boldness. Yeah. To admit that I need, I need help. So yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Fred, this has been great. I really, really appreciate you coming on and stuff. Thanks for, uh, for everything you've shared. I will have all these links in the show notes uh, for everybody so they can uh, go out to your website, learn more about you and uh, hopefully get a copy of that book. Good deal. Thanks very much, Fred. Listeners, hope you guys were taking notes. A lot of good information here. Um, share this with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me. Thank you. Harlan. Thanks, Harlan. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Fred. Take care. Harlan saying so long for now. <laughs>